0: With Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly, and hits again! Halliburton at the buzzer, captain, push, with another one! Oh, and the hammer <laughs> for Matherin! Halliburton leaves it off for Batase.
1: Go go. good job! Oh, what a move by Heald, he lays it in. Heald, hotter than fish grease!
2: Dropped it off to Jalen Smith!
0: With the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Come Turner on, Miles. To tie it. Yes. He does. Tied at 106. Washington
2: again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Out running is Brissett. House it holds it to, to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Ball loose.
0: gonna slam it at the
1: other end what is going on everybody welcome back to another episode here of setting the pace and coming off of that one episode suspension joining me is the one and only Michael K the uh, Fachi, the K is for Karen what's up brother <laughs> the suspension
2: is lifted I am back you can't keep me off this show long enough Alex man I felt like there was two different routes we could have went today we could have went with just a following a woes bomb with eight of the pacers you know the offer sheet has been signed <laughs> instead here we are but we still got a great episode planned for you i promise you that because uh
1: i don't know if you checked but the mail hasn't quite been delivered yet man we haven't had a mailbag in a very long time and so it's like long overdue i know like people have been used to us doing one every single monday because we called it the monday mailbag and we were doing it All the time during the regular season because we like to hear from the fans and kind of get what they're thinking and get their questions but we took a little bit of a break during the offseason because a lot of the questions became repetitive and it was just kind of frustrating to keep saying the same things over and over, but instead of talking about DeAndre Ayton again for another episode, uh, we'll get to him a little bit but not but not too much today on the on the mailbag there's a lot of good questions out there that I think a lot of fans are curious about I want to jump right into summer league flashy I didn't talk about this yesterday. On the show because I felt like it would have been better coming from me and you talking about the Pacers and, and how they looked in summer league. So, where do you want to start?
2: I mean, let's just start game one. I mean, my initial thought right over here, my first look at Benedict Matherin in a Pacer jersey. One, they got to update those summer league jerseys. This looks like we're running like a like a practice in a high school gym type jersey. Well, but let me just
1: let me just say this: what do you got? If, if they could spend money and I put this out on Twitter yesterday? If they can spend money. To give the Summer League champs rings, can exactly. they please just get some nicer jerseys? Like, I understand, like, these are way better than what they were back in like 2006 when Danny Granger or 2005 when Danny Granger was in Orlando Summer League. Don't get me wrong, they have improved. But at the same time, like, if you're going to go all out and make this a show in Vegas, get better jerseys. I'm, I'm with you, Fachi.
2: Yeah, Uh, so second thing, we're talking about the rings over there. First, I laughed. Oh, my God, we're doing Summer League rings now. We're doing Eastern Conference, Western Conference finals, MVPs. You know, we're doing everything now. Uh, But then I went, you know what, I want one. I want the Pacers to get those rings. I want (laughs) to hang a Summer League banner. Whatever we could do, I just want to do it. I want to pump some winning into this team so they can go into the season and be like, hey, you know what, why not? Why not us? It it took about, you know – they played the Kings very, very close. We'll get into that. But the Pacers started off that first summer league game, and across the board, I thought they looked really good.
1: Yeah, let us let me ask you this. Out of all the guys that played in that first game, who looked the most impressive to you?
2: Benedict Matherin, from the very second he was on there, I mean, maybe you, know, maybe you could say the most impressive, whatever it is. This guy looked like it wasn't going to have, like, oh, man, you know, he'll have his moments. Nope, he looked real good to the point where I got way too ahead of myself. I was like, oh, my God this guy like Scott's the limit but then also I got to give credit to a, a ton of other guys on the team like Duarte I mean man I missed him I know he wasn't like super super flashy or anything like that but got to the free throw line nine times hit all nine uh Terry Taylor I I thought looked good um so I would say you know Benedict Matherin stood out to me the most
1: yeah I think that's a pretty obvious one in terms of you know who we were keeping an eye on but I felt like the most impressive was Chris Duarte, Fachi, and you brought it up, the nine free throws made, and getting to the free throw line to knock down nine free throws alone is just uh, indicative of this being a guy that's been in the league for a year, and we hadn't seen him in a while, so it was kind of out of sight, out of mind, and you kind of forgot how poised he is. I love how he carries himself on the floor, doesn't really get rattled. I think he's better at creating his own shot right now, too, than Benedict Mathern, which might be a little bit surprising to some because, you know, Chris Duarte is more of a, a catch and shoot kind of guy. But I feel like over the last two games specifically, you know, when Matherin's kind of had to be the offensive initiator and try to create for himself and create for others, he hasn't really been able to do that. He's not a guy that's going to rack up a lot of assists. Yeah, agreed. Um, and, and that's why I think he's going to benefit a lot from playing with Tyrese Halliburton, because this is a guy like Matherin's going to be really good at making cuts. He's going to be able to shoot the ball at a high level because he's a good shooter. And, you know, I feel like Duarte, though, is a little bit more poised, obviously, because he's got that year of experience. And so I was I was really impressed with him. But other than that, I mean, I got to go with Andrew Nimhardt as well. He's looked pretty solid as a, as a point guard. I wasn't really sure about him. I know mean, you were kind of questioning whether that was a great pickup or not at, at 31. But you know, Tyrese Halliburton was just saying like that he was the, the most impressive out of everybody on the summer league roster so far during Game Two on the broadcast. I think we got to give him some praise too.
2: Absolutely. I mean, we had heard the term "floor general" out there. You know, there's a lot to like. I feel like he's someone that, hey, you know, we imagine T.J. McConnell is going to be there, and I don't think that Nemart is is completely ready to be the backup point guard. But we do have something over here because we talked about that winning pedigree for at Gonzaga. But also, I mean, game one, the man was plus 21 from the field, you know, and and then game two follows up with an even better performance. I know the Pacers overall weren't better, but he had 13 points. He had five rebounds. I mean, three assists. Uh, So he, he was really getting after it. Five of nine shooting. So a lot to like over there. I just feel like this young core, there were so many, maybe it's just because it's the beginning of seeing just them, not like you know, some of the veterans, but there was a lot to like in different areas. Like Isaiah Jackson, for instance, struggled from the field, honestly, in both games, but it was nice to see 12 rebounds, four blocks, you know, in game one. So there, there was a couple of different things, but for Nemart I think right now we, we got something over there. You know, we talked about it. You mentioned it. We're a little bit lower on him. Just because it felt like 31, maybe swing for the fences on, on a guy, you know, like a Kendall Brown-esque, but we ended up getting both of them. So uh, I think that right over there, it showed that this draft class could be very promising for the Pacers.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And I I think that Kendall Brown has played well in those two games, Fachi, as well. There's been some, you know, I've not felt great with him having the ball in his hand (laughs) as kind of an offensive initiator. But I think he, similar to Matherin, is going to be really good at getting, you know, to the basket off of cuts and stuff like that. Now, let's talk about some of these guys that are returning, you know, guys that we've had on the podcast, guys that we've talked to. Dwayne Washington Jr. and Isaiah Jackson, as well as Terry Taylor. He has yet to come on the show, but we're going to make that happen eventually. But out of those three guys, you know, who do you think has been the most impressive?
2: I think Terry Taylor has, has, he's been, he's been good, man. He really hands down, hands down. uh, You know, Terry Taylor, you know, game one, five of 11 from the field, uh, seven rebounds. Uh, Then game two follows it up, five of eight from the field, another seven rebounds. I just feel like, This is a guy, he got his contract guaranteed yesterday, so that was great to know. Maybe it took, you know, a a bit of pressure off of him. Also got to the free throw line eight times against the Kings, so you got to like that. Um, I thought that that was really great over there. Then moving on to Dwayne Washington Jr., contract has not been guaranteed yet. That date was pushed back to the 15th, which we already touched on. Struggled a little bit from the field. Now, Summer League, those are the games that are the easiest to over, you know, overanalyze. But 3 of 12 from the field in Game 1, 3 of 8 in Game 2. Known as a three-point shooter. Feel like it really hasn't been there uh, yet. What are your thoughts on Glenn Washington? Should you be worried? Should he be worried?
1: I wouldn't say worried, but I, I think that we already know he's a fringe rotation player. I think he's probably the 11th or 12th man right now in terms of who's going to get minutes because there's a lot of guards on this team. I mean, we saw that graphic that they put out there on game one. It was like 12 guards, three forwards and three centers. It's like, wow. Okay. That's not great. So I I like Dwayne Washington jr. And we know that he can get hot. Like he shot 40% from three in the first game, two of five, but yeah, he's, he's one of those guys where he just kind of forces when there's not always something there. And maybe he feels the pressure to do that because like you said, of the contract situation, he's in summer league. Maybe he's trying to prove himself, trying to get into that rotation, potentially maybe trying to prove to the Pacers, hey, you can move off of Buddy Heald. I I can come in and play that backup shooting guard role. But, you know, I think right now he's got a long ways to go in terms of, uh, you know, growing as a player. And, and I like Dwayne a lot. Don't get me wrong, but defensively, whoo, you could feel the difference between him out there in the starting lineup and Chris Duarte out there in the starting lineup. Duarte, much, much, much better defender. And Dwayne absolutely got killed uh, in, in that Kings game, and I felt like the Pacers overall, you know, that Kings game it got close, and I think yeah. one thing you can look at towards the towards the end of the game there, Keegan Murray just kind of took over Focci. and
2: that was a fun game towards the very end. The Pacers were very much in that till about the final, you know, forty five seconds or so. But Keegan Murray, very impressive, you know, hey. While while we're covering the Pacers, we're not going to give him too much shine. But the shot that he hit against Orlando in the previous game, that game was electric. So I think the Kings are very happy with Keegan Murray, but I'm also very happy with Bendik Mathman.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's it's okay to give him praise. He's deserving of it. I mean, I I think it's funny now because people are kind of comparing him to Tim Duncan, where he doesn't get too high or too low and just kind of stays even kill the whole time. And I think sometimes when a guy's emotionless like that, it's hard to read them. And maybe you think that they're disinterested. But uh, I think King Murray is pretty interested in trying to shut people up because he got a lot of negative feedback. And I was trying to convince people, the further we got into this, like, yeah, his ceiling doesn't seem as high because of the athleticism upside because of, you know, Ivy Mather and those kind of players. But he's still a really good player. And people were, like, so anti going after him. And, like, I just – I just, I know it's summer league, and I'm not going to overreact to it. But I think, you know, the Pacers, number one, they're going to have to figure out a way to – Get players on this roster to guard guys like Keegan Murray. I think Jalen Smith clearly would have had a better shot at doing that than anybody oh, on man. the roster, um, you know. But like Isaiah Jackson, this is a great opportunity for him to guard those kind of guys. And you know, they were in com- some kind of weird zone, and there was times when Matherin just was not in the right spot at the right time. So, you know, not going to get too analytical, critical of them in in terms of how they looked. But just last thing here for me on everything, I thought the second unit looked really good against okay. the Kings, and that's because the Kings are pretty you know, top heavy there with their Summer League roster. But I want to give some sh- shout-outs to David DeLeo.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Look like Dirk Nowitzki out there shooting threes. I mean, I'm not oh, trying what? to be hyperbolic, Three, but, uh, you know, he – uh I mean, just the, the form, Foch, he very, very similar form to, to a guy like Dirk Nowitzki.
2: Yeah, I mean, hey, I, I love that. And, you know, Summer League, it's, it's always going to be overreactions. But remember last year – Dwayne Washington Jr. had, like, 27 points or 24 points in that first game. That was really the introduction of, like, this man could shoot threes. And then at the end of the year, he ended up playing a big role. For Delio, yeah. who knows? You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. this this is the start. So I, I thought the bench did look good. But we also saw, you know, a little bit of things. Like, for instance, Chris Duarte did not play. Still has a little bit of that toe injury. I don't know if he will play. Some league, again, they might have seen enough and been like, all right, cool, let's get a look at everybody else. But I still want to see some guys, like, Kevin Brown, who we talked about then fan Bo Zang was not out there in this game. So yeah. Game
1: two, he didn't play. So
2: it starts to get Benny, Benny Boat, I mean, if there's one person that's probably going you know, <laughs> to get cut. Yeah. I feel like Benny Boat, Could be on his way out. So yeah. they're going to have to trim down that, that roster, you know, for summer league and, and give some other guys some shots. So I, I think that this is just a very fun time because you don't want to overlook these guys. Like last year, Terry Taylor was nowhere on my radar. I remember seeing the name Summer League. Oh yeah, who is this guy? I don't know. He's undersized, whatever. Dwayne Washington, hmm, who knows? Next thing you know, I mean, those guys, for Sykes, they ended up playing real well and and earning a spot and earning honestly meaningful minutes. So mm-hmm. let's not overlook these guys. Let's not overreact. But at the same point, Pacers still needed to decide. You know, who's going to be those two way contracts and everything. So it's going to be it's going to be very exciting.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, everybody, we are here to answer your mailbag questions. And joining me is the biggest Gogo Batadze fan in all of America. Fachi, you ready to do this? had a short run with Goga, but, uh, you know, that's over. But I am ready. All right. Double ooze said, why do so many people want to get rid of Miles? Seriously, why? I personally love him and his loyalty up to this point. Every year there are rumors of his trade, yet he still gives us 100% when he's been healthy. He's a big that protects the rim and can shoot threes. I mean,
2: I'm just going to say the key words there are when healthy. Because, (laughs) look, this isn't a – personal thing. This is a winning basketball thing over here. And it just feels like it's just time for change for both parties. I'm sure Miles wants to win, go to a contender right over here. The Pacers are in a little bit of a different stage. Miles has been hurt. He's entering the final year of his deal. I don't know how many people feel confident re-upping him for say a hundred million dollars over, you know, four or five years. it's, It's tough for a guy that lately has played closer to 50% the games in his last few seasons, but you're also talking about a seven-year sample size. Could be the best shot blocker on the planet, but also let's call it like it is, first career, he's a sub 35% three-point shooter. That is average at best. So yes, he can shoot threes, but you know what? The the percentages have really fallen off. When I say 35%, it's actually below 35% each of the last three seasons. And if you have an opportunity to get a former number one overall pick, who not only played in the finals, but also produced, he's younger, has not reached his potential yet, or his prime, you got to go out and get him. And unfortunately, Miles would be the guy that would be, you know, going elsewhere if you're to bring in a guy like Aiden.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's think about this and just rewind a couple of years. You know, it comes down to the Pacers having two bigs on their roster between DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner, something we talked about ad nauseum for three to four years, right? I mean, it was just, Non-stop, non-stop, you know, but at the bottom line is Miles Turner was worse than DeMontis Sabonis. Yes. Now you can debate whether who was the better fit for the team, but if we're talking who the better big was, Sabonis has the accolades to prove that. Two-time All-Star, yes, I understand the second All-Star wasn't like, you know, uh, yeah. he wasn't a first ballot All-Star, whatever you want to call it, but still got to the game and he was close enough to get there where Turner was never close enough. And, you know, Sabonis kind of came in and took Turner's role and, and kind of took that position from him as the one of the primary bigs. So, you know, I I get it. And it's it's frustrating for Miles. I can understand, like, if you're a loyal fan of Miles, you don't want to see him go. I understand where you're coming from. He's the longest in your pacer. I think he could actually fit in nicely with this group. But it all comes comes down to health, money, and skill set. Okay? Turner is good, but he's not great. He's a flawed center that has a lot to prove to me. Okay? Like you said, he's regressed as a shooter. His injuries are adding up. They're not getting any better. And he's on an expiring contract. I look at this team, Fachi, and when they lost Demontis Sabonis, they opened up their offense and were able to play a little bit differently. But they desperately need a pick and roll threat to open up the outside. If you don't have any inside threat, it's easier to guard the perimeter because you know exactly what they're going to do. So, like even with like a guy like Draymond and, and Kevon Looney, like you know they're not like the biggest rim threat guys, but you're talking about the greatest shooter of all time and Steph Curry, the Pacers don't have that. Okay. So, you know, for me, Miles Turner is great at the pick and pop, but he's not great at the pick and roll. So I think you need a solid pick and roll guy. And I think Deandre Ayton and Demonte Sabonis are terrific around the rim. Okay. So it's not as similar to me, because I've heard people make that comparison. Oh, that's the same thing as having Sabonis. Well, no, it's not because Ayton's a much better defender than Demonte Sabonis. So, Overall, when you look at all three of them, Aiden is the best, then Sabonis, and then Turner. So, in, in terms of talent, Turner has always been the least talented of the three overall as a player. So, I think that's part of the reason why so many people want to get rid of him is because he's not as talented as the other names that are being talked about. So, if, if Turner was the only center on the roster and there was no chance to get an Aiden or a chance to have Sabonis on your team, like I don't think people would be as willing to move on or as excited to move on or eager to move on. But I think overall, Fachi, I'll wrap up here quickly. I just feel like Turner has always kind of been the lesser talent of the guys on the roster that he's competing with for those touches and minutes. And, you know, right now, if you're looking at Aiton, he's not technically on the roster. But, you know, there's a lot of rumor, a lot of smoke out there that he's the next guy. So it's always like, you know, who's the better player here? So. Money-wise, I get it. It's tough, though. He's an expiring contract, and there's been some reporting out there that he doesn't want to be here. There's also been reporting that he doesn't want to be here. It's a lot of mixed emotions, but uh, I just feel like Turner at this point, it, uh, it just feels like it's time to move on because the rumors have been going on for too long, and the Pacers just have to move forward with what they're doing in this rebuild. And I think uh, moving away from Miles would make the most sense.
2: It just feels like time for a change. Look, I'm very appreciative of Miles' loyalty. You're talking about seven years, going on eight. And we've, the last few years between your Depots, your Paul Georges, and, you know, guys that have not wanted to really be here. Um, it it I, I will always appreciate Miles wanting to be here. However, it, it's not about just how great of a guy someone is. It's about winning. And I think that a guy like John Drayton gives us the best chance to win compared to a Miles Turner because like I've talked about before, the cap's gonna go up. Yeah. When Miles signs a new deal, it's not gonna be as big of a difference from what Ayton's making as from what Turner's making. I think it's gonna be within about $10 million. Turner's next deal could pay him 20, 22. Who knows? Who knows what type of year he has? Where Ayton is gonna start his deal at you know 30 to 32, it's really not going to be that crazy of a difference. Yeah. For but sure. next, I think we move over to the next question. Yeah. Uh we got Evan said if we don't get Aiton, what is the likelihood that we would go after Sexton? And if so, how much would you estimate he would cost?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the Pacers were tied to Sexton early on, but that's been pretty quiet as of late. So I, I would say the, the chances are slim with how loaded our backcourt is. Um, we got to improve our small power, our small forward and power forward depth Focci. I mean, I mean, it's, it's bad. Like I talked about that. It's, it's, it's like O'Shea and that's it. Right. So, um, but however, if they can't acquire a talented guard like Sexton and add him into the mix, I wouldn't be opposed, you know, with where the team is heading, we got to improve on defense. So I don't think Sexton makes a whole lot of sense, but if you're able to like maybe find a way to get him and I mean, he's a better talent overall than a guy like Buddy Heald. Right. But he's coming off this big injury. So, Money wise, it's going to be tough because there's not a lot of teams out there with cap uh, cap space, cap room to get him. It could be it could be San Antonio, it could be Indiana, but other than that, I think it's more than likely going to be the Cavaliers. Just try to find the deal that works for them to bring him back, or they do a sign and trade. So I, I threw out a number like looking at four for seventy two million, four for seventy six million, something in that $18-19 range. But you know, he might want more than that. I just wouldn't give it to him coming off that injury and seeing where the market is for guys that are kind of one-dimensional guards that have a lot more to prove. But I mean, he was a bucket. Don't get, don't get it wrong. I mean, two years ago, he was a, an all-star candidate. So I mean, Sexton's got a lot of gaming.
2: Yeah, no, he like really talented player. I think that injury came at such a bad time because I know he's not Darius Garland, but Darius Garland just signed like the super max rookie deal. I mean, it's just, you know, whatever it is, it was like $193 million or more, um there could be up to that and then you look at Sexton where it doesn't really seem like there's a market for him right now coming off of his injury so that's real sad I I like Sexton offensively I think he's really good defensively I think he has a long way to go I don't see the Pacers being interested unless they were to you know strike out on Aiton which at that point it seems like a more matter of time but I thought there would have been more legs to this at one point there was I just don't know what Sexton's going to get I think he ends up returning to uh Cleveland and then just kind of working on a a newer deal after when he gets his value back up.
1: Yeah, maybe he does a two-year deal. That way he can get back on the market again. Maybe something similar to Jalen Smith, right? But obviously for more money, I'm just saying like something like that in terms of how they build the contract. But, you know, that's a loaded backcourt right there. They brought in Raul Neto. They got in uh, Ricky Rubio, who will be coming back in January. Karis Levert's on that team. Isaac Koro, They just brought in Akbaji. so they got a ton of guards there. Fachi. I just saw Darius Garland. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't going to count him because we already know, but you already mentioned him too. But I'm just looking at their depth. Like they got like three guards at both positions too, so it's tough. In my opinion,
2: I think he just. Re- I think he just takes his qualifying offer, comes back, and, and goes for a new deal. Yeah, um, I, I, it's going to be sad because I'm sure he was looking to sign a huge deal. His qualifying offer is seven point two million dollars. Uh, right now we know there's really no teams out there with, like, substantial cap space. So I think he's going to hit free agency next year as an unrestricted free agent and uh, look to cash in.
1: Yeah, if I was the Spurs, I would really probably look at making and giving them an offer sheet.
2: We talked about their roster. Doug McDermott, Josh Richardson, uh, Jakob Perl- those, those are their top three paid guys, and they're looking to shop all three of them. So Man. it's just like, how bad is one team looking to get? So at that point, it almost feels like, and while they could, you know, have Colin Sexton be like their point guard and, and you know, not to say build around him, but he would be a piece, it looks like they might just try and clear house overall and buy uh, him out.
1: All I would do is just bring him on, let him get healthy, and then play oh, him, yeah. and then once his value gets up, trade him.
2: I mean, they very well could. I mean, they could definitely do something like that or, you know, like I said, maybe not play him for, you know, a couple months, whatever it is. But Bring him uh, off the
1: bench. Make him earn his spot. You know, you got Josh Primo there. You want him to be your starting point guard? Like they can find ways to make it work, in my opinion, Fatch. So I, I just think that with the Spurs having all that cap space, like they got to be able to do something with it. And I mean, they could take on bad contracts. Maybe they're I looking. They, to, they might be looking to help. It seemed like the Lakers and the and, well, and the Nets. I could do that they could. I'm just saying because they're not going to keep Westbrook. that get those two picks. You know that kind of stuff. So with that being said, uh, let's move on. A lot of interesting topics here. So, if the eight and sign, this this is from Tyler, excuse me. If the eight and sign and trade doesn't happen, which teams are most appealing for acquiring bad contracts and picks from?
2: Uh, I mean, off off the top of my head, in terms of bad contracts, like obviously there's Russ. I mean, it's the worst contract out there. so, I mean, that's going to be the one that the Pacers have kind of been, you've heard the most about. Yeah. If nothing's going to work out over there, obviously we have a lot of money and I don't know who we're going to spend it on. But other than that, I mean, is there like a player that comes to mind? Like we're obviously, we're not going to get Kyrie. It's just not going to happen.
1: Yeah. Like,
2: and I don't, I don't see like, Ben Simmons getting moved before he even plays a game for New Jersey. Uh, wow, well, called New Jersey. Old <laughs> school. Um, so at this point, I don't know what bad contract would really be moved again. Is there one that comes to mind for you?
1: What about Tobias Harris?
2: It, it is. It is a. It's two years, which is not bad. But the problem is, you're talking about like thirty-seven and forty million dollars owed right over there. But th- that is definitely a contract that the Sixers are looking to get off the books. However, yeah. if you're the Pacers, I mean, what are you doing? Are you doing like uh, TJ McConnell, Buddy Heels, you know, something like that?
1: Well, you're probably using that cap space that you have, that $26 yeah. million to absorb some of that, right? So you're probably just doing a Buddy for
2: – Well, buddy. I was going to say, even Buddy and McConnell is really only like $28 million. So Yeah,
1: but I mean, even if you just did Buddy, what's he at, 22 right now this year? 21 yeah, it's
2: like right around it's like 21, so it's just like you're still eating like 16 million dollars. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, still make it work, but
1: yeah, know. Gordon Hayward's a bad contract. We didn't really talk about him, I know that he's always a name that's brought up. I was looking at maybe Duncan Robinson, it's not like the worst contract, but it's still three more years of that 16 yeah. million dollar deal. Maybe they won off of him, Luke Kennard.
2: Uh, I guess we talked about like 14 million, yeah, kind of like atrocious, but like there's that, like. Would, would are the nets going to be in position if they want to dump Joe Harris? We talked about that. Like he's owed, like you know, close to 40 million dollars over the next two years. Um, but they're in a weird spot where like who knows if they're able to really start giving up picks. Um, I know they did that for Royce O'Neill, but they're still in like a weird spot. So other than that, there's not like these terrible, terrible contracts, like John Wall isn't on you know available anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like you're looking at your your Russes, uh, your your Duncan Robinson's, your Tobias Harris's. But even then, Tobias Harris is a good enough player with the Sixers going for a championship, Harden taking a pay cut that they might not want to just dump them, dump them. But I guess Buddy McConnell's been there before with the Sixers, like maybe, but yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's tough. There's not really a lot out there right there now there. that are that are like ma- major salary dump type of people because we've pretty much seen all those guys get moved already, except for Russ and, and Kyrie. But they're gonna be, about to be traded for each other. So, um, yeah. Anyway, like let's move.
2: Davis Bertans is the last name I could think of. Like nobody wants that guy right uh, now. A Porzingis. <laughs> I thought about Porzingis, but then I was just like, the Wizards are in such a like disgusting gutter part of a franchise that it's like. Can, you know, they need someone next to Beal, so I feel like they might try and hold on to him for a little bit. But Yeah. We'll see.
1: All right, let's move All on. Right. Next
2: question we got from Tom. He said, with Kennedy Chandler's contract being touted as the largest guaranteed contract for a second-round pick, what do you think the Pacers will do with Andrew Nemart, who was drafted higher and plays the same position as Chandler? Kind of an interesting situation.
1: Yeah, that's a great question because Kennedy Chandler was a guy that was projected as a first-round pick and then fell into the second round. So I think as – People realize, you know, with his height, there could be some challenges to him. But I, I don't know why. But I just immediately thought of Jalen Brunson whenever I thought about Andrew Nimhard being the thirty-first mm-hmm. overall pick. And I looked at his contract when he got it back in twenty eighteen, and he was offered a four-year deal for six point one one two seven seven zero million dollars. So whatever, it's six six million one hundred twelve thousand. All right, I got it. I wrote it down. But yep. basically, it's six point one million. I don't know why I said all that. I was just I don't being know why dumb. You did either, but we'll take it. So four for six, and that was about 1.5 per year. So pretty good deal for him, and that was back in 2018. So maybe the Pacers do something similar to that. Maybe they do like a four for 7.5 or a 4.8, or four for four for eight, excuse me. So you may be giving him $2 million a year with two options on that last two years. I mean, I, I really don't know what the right contract would be for him, but they are going to have um, some space if they do – the, the sign and trade for DeAndre Ayton. So maybe they're not afraid of eating up some of that space to give it to him and or Kendall Brown. So I, I think somewhere around four for, you know, $8 with it with a, with a two-year option after two years is, is something, simi- something similar something to similar to what they did with Brunson that they could do here.
2: Yeah, very interesting. I mean, right when this happened, and, and first of all, Tom, I actually think this is a great question because this is something different than being like, when are we going to sign Aiden? You know, so great question over there. Uh, right when I saw Kennedy Chandler sign that, I knew I was like, oh man, this is not going to help the Pacers. I'll tell you that. So, uh, right now, I think that Nemar's in a situation where what if the Pacers just did this? What if it was just instead of uh, Kennedy Chandler got $4.94 million guaranteed? What if the Pacers just gave Nemar just $5 million guaranteed, like a little bit more, you know, something where it's still, hey, it's still the record, it's a new record for largest guarantee for a second round pick, but it's not like really paying him more money so mm. you know maybe instead of 7.1 million that kennedy chandler got what if it's like 7.2 you know 7.3 whatever it is it like we kept it right around there just paid him a little bit more to say hey we appreciate you let's get this deal done and i and i feel like nemar being holding the record for largest guarantee he's got to be pretty happy about that
1: yeah no there's no doubt about it i'm not i'm not sure exactly because it's so hard to tell a second round picks, like who, uh, who did Kennedy Chandler get drafted to? Do we know? He's on the Memphis Grizzlies. Okay. Hmm, that's interesting. Did they have the cap space to give him that kind of an offer? I guess they did, obviously. But they did. It's official. Yeah. I just It's just, it's so interesting that they would give him that much money.
2: Why, why, why did they do that? Great for the players. Look, great. But now all of a sudden, like, man, yeah, for a team like the Pacers, it's like you're going to squeeze a couple little extra cash out of there. Um, so. Interesting stuff right over there, but I hope that the Pacers can just do one of those things that they do in the NFL, where you like beat the largest guarantee always by like point one. Yeah.
1: Million, you know,
2: those
1: things. Yeah, and then one of the things that's really interesting too is the Pacers have not signed Brown or Nemhard to their rookie mm-hmm. deals yet, yep. so that means they can still be traded. <laughs> I don't think they will be, but
2: uh, yeah, I know that that, that
1: also leaves their their money off the books as well for now. So they have some time to do that. Let's move on. This one comes. From Ricky, he said, if we are able to get the potential lineup of Tyrese, Matherin, Duarte, Smith, and Aiden, how long do you think it will take them to gel and become something? Also, with Rick really embracing the rebuild, do you think we should offer him an extension?
2: So first off, I love that starting five. Uh, and I also really like the fact that like Matherin, Duarte, you know, they're getting to play together. I don't know, maybe Duarte could be done in summer league, but like, you know Jalen Smith and Tyree seem to really gel last year. I know Aiden, you know, Aiden's played with Jalen before. It's been a couple, of, you know, been a little bit of time, you know, half season or so, whatever, um, since then. But I think it's gonna take them some time to gel, rightfully so. In terms of how long is it gonna be for a rebuild? Honestly, I think if you sign Aiden, I think you drastically speed up this process. Now, I don't think the Pacers are gonna be good next year. I think they're gonna be painfully average, but I think that then all of a sudden the, they'll have some momentum where then the following year, I really do think they're they're competing for a playing spot or a playoff spot. And also you got to remember, as of now, patients are going to have three first round picks. They're going to have cap space. Maybe buddy gets dealt, you know, at, at the trade deadline this year or whatever it is. So, They're still going to have options to get better. But when you talk about a young team, a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, who could develop into an all-star, Benedict Mather, who could be something special, Jalen Smith, who looked really good over there, Aiton, I think, could be a fringe all-star, if not an all-star. I think that they have enough of a core where it's like, it ain't going to be next year, but the following year, I can't rule out making the playoffs.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Did you answer the Carlisle part of that? Oh, I did not. So great, great
2: point. I don't think we can give Rick uh, an extension yet. We're coming off of literally one of the worst seasons the Pacers have had in like 30 years. I love the fact that he's involved in draft decisions. Love the fact that he's on board for a rebuild. But I don't think we need to start talking about an extension just yet.
1: I think Ricky just likes to have a guy named Rick on the roster
2: too. They're on to something there, those Ricks.
1: Yeah, Ricky and Ricky. Okay, got to keep an eye on you. But no, I think we should wait till the final year of his deal. In my opinion, I mean. If he wants to coach for another ten years, then I have no problem extending him. But you have to wonder: is he still going to want to coach a rebuilding team in three years? You know, it's all fun and dandy right now because Halliburton's a lot of fun. But how much losing can Rick really take over the next couple of years? I mean, the four-year deal is getting paid handsomely. Don't get me wrong. Maybe he wants to get into the front office after his contract's up. You know, I just wouldn't rush into it. I would just play it by ear. You gave him the four-year contract and. If he's excited about being here and wants to be here and you feel like this team is developing, then keep him around. I mean, I don't have a problem with that, but um, I think there's some good coaches also on this roster that wouldn't be bad head coaches. I mean, if they wanted to give Ronald Norred the opportunity to be a head coach, if Rick wants to step up into the front office and Pritchard moves on, I mean, that's still a possibility later down the road. I don't know. You never know what could happen in the future, but I wouldn't be opposed to that. But with that being said, looking at this roster, I said I think by the 2024 All-Star break, which the Pacers actually host, that year, I think we could be looking at a top eight team in the Eastern Conference, Faji. That would give this team a year and a half to grow while also adding in the new additions from the 2023 summer. Like you mentioned, it could be via free agency and or the draft. So, you know, it really would have to depend on the growth of Matherin, Halliburton, Aiden and Duarte. Those four guys are going to have to really take some leaps and bounds to to grow, but you add, like, Jackson will get better, Taylor's going to get better hopefully Neesmith gets better in year three or four you know so that's kind of where you're at you got a lot of young players Jalen Smith as well I mean you bring all those guys together and then your draft picks from 2023 now you're hoping okay by 2024 those guys have got enough chemistry they can hopefully be like that Memphis team that took Golden State you know to that playing game and was able to get in as the eight seed right and they got swept right but or do they win one game? I can't remember, but, but yeah, regardless. They, they got a game. They got a yeah. game. So they got that one game, whatever. But like still, like that's what the experience I'm thinking about with this team. Like young, hungry, ready to grow. And I think you know, for a guy like Halliburton, like this will be him leading a team. And I think with Aiden realizing he's gonna be that number one option, right? For at least for that first year, realizing, okay, look what I can do when I'm the guy, look what I can do with these young players as we're growing. Like it's not just Chris Paul hammering the ball onto the floor and telling me where to go and what to do because that's one thing you have to realize. Like, Chris Paul is not an easy person to play with. Like, a lot of people talk about how he's very demanding and stuff like that. And Aiden, I don't think he responds well to that, but I do think that Halliburton is just like a bundle of joy, always smiling, always wanting to have a good time and always wanting to get his guys involved. I think, they could have a much better relationship than he currently has with Paul and i think part of that is just the age difference so well
2: i was going to say the same thing they're, they're yeah. going to have so many more similarities being in their young 20s compared to chris paul who above all it's 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 winning that's what he wants it's all yeah. focused on he's a much older individual i mean paul has been in the league since 2004 it's a 2004 2005 so it's just like you're talking about, I mean, in 2005, I mean, Aiden was, he was a child. Like, it's just, it's, it's a big difference in, in age. I think Ayton could have been like, like six years old or something like that. He's 23 right now. So, a guy like uh, Tyrese Halliburton, I think they're going to have a lot more chemistry, hang out more, you know, outside, off the court. So, there's just a lot to be excited about. Yeah, Are we biased a little bit? Maybe it's possible, but I really do think if this core can continue to get a little bit better after next year, I, I honestly feel like we should be going into that offseason or going to that year with expectations of why not make a play, a play-in playoff game. Why not? We're going to have a lot set up around us with the draft picks, cap space, guys getting better. I'm, I'm honestly, I don't want to look, forward to 2024 right now, I'm fired up right now, Alex.
1: Yeah, and I think the Pacers will want to try to get Halliburton and or Aiton into the All-Star game in 2024 with oh, it yeah. being in Indianapolis. So to. that to me is a big reason why I think they could go after Aiton while they're rumored right. to be heavily after him because they want to kind of pro- they, want, they to, want to have a representative. You know? Yeah, you do, but you also want to like don't rush the rebuild, but you do want to kind of move it along a little bit faster if you can by acquiring super young talent like that, that former number one overall pick just four years ago. So, I mean, there's a lot of room there for to grow, in my opinion. And um, I don't think he's really scratched the surface yet of what he can be. But uh, you ready to move on to the next question? I am. All right. Next question comes from David. He said, what do you think
2: Kendall Brown's role will be this season? How many minutes, et cetera?
1: Yeah, this is pretty, it's a pretty simple one here. I think Kendall is either put on a two-way contract similar to Dwayne or is like the 14th to 15 man on the roster. You know, he's not going to be an everyday player. You know, unless there's injuries to like a wing position type of guy like an O'Shea or or a Jalen, somebody like that, and I need him to play because they just don't have the size. But, you know, I think Carlisle's going to create ways to get him in the rotation throughout the season, but I don't expect him to be getting consistent minutes whatsoever. So when he does play, if he plays, I'm going to say around 10 to 12 minutes a game, and and that's being on the nicer side, probably more like eight minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's just, he's going to have to develop a lot, y'all, and I think he's going to spend a lot of time in the G League.
2: I completely agree. Look, long story short, I see him as a two-way contract guy. Yeah. I see him getting in during some blowouts. Uh, hopefully, no one gets hurt. But you know, last year was a, a situation where Pacers barely even had enough bodies to play at times. Um, I, I think that he's perfect for the G League because I, I think that there's a lot of a lot of talent there for Kendall Brown, but he needs the playing time to be able to get through it. He was not someone that was you know really featured at Baylor, but he was also one of their top recruits ever. Uh, unanimous five-star, and this was a guy that was like a top 15 overall recruit, so he needs the time to be able to flourish, and I think he's only going to be able to get that in the G League second half of the year. I think he's going to play a lot more, but for, you know, short-term, I I see him only getting a handful of minutes here or there unless injuries happen or anything of the sort, but I look forward to seeing him flourish in the second half of the year.
1: Absolutely. Let's move on. This one comes from Randall. He said, have you heard any trade rumors for Buddy Hill, Gogo Batadze, or TJ McConnell? And then he also asked, will Brissette play more of the three or the four? And where does Brown fit into the second unit? So we got a three-part question here from Randall.
2: Good old three-parter. Um, in terms of trade rumors for, for Buddy, we've heard the Lakers. The Lakers still have interest. We've heard of that, but obviously they prefer Kyrie. I don't blame them, so they're going to wait and try and get Kyrie Irving before they make a move for Buddy Hield. Other than that, I really haven't heard teams linked to Buddy. However, I do feel like he his value would pick up more t- uh, towards the trade deadline. I think that's when, like, you could potentially get a first-round pick from a contender, anything of that, you know, a young, promising player. Um, then, as it relates to McConnell, I think he stays. I think he wants to be here. I think the Pacers want a veteran point guard in there. I honestly think he's the perfect veteran point guard for Tyrese Halliburton and Andrew Nimhardt. I feel like they need to learn from someone who's – been around the league, just how they conduct themselves. Goga, the only trade rumors I've heard is the ones that I'm coming up with. So, you know, right now I haven't heard them linked to anyone. I, you know, even you and I were talking offline. I was like, man, we got to strap a second round pick to Goga. But it's like, what does that even really do for anyone, you know? So I don't know, uh, you know, what the Pictures are going to do with that. But if they do want to create a few extra million, I think Goga is the guy that I'm looking at um, to, to get off the books. Um, then will Brissett play more of a three or four? Uh, I'd say probably the four, but I think right now it depends if the Patriots are to bring an eight, and I think all of a sudden Isaiah Jackson would probably be that primary you know, backup four, uh, but I think he could also play the center. So I think we're probably seeing a little bit more at that. We talked about it. The small forward depth and power forward depth is not good on this team. So a combination of both, I would say. And where does Kendall Brown fit in the second unit? Two-way contract, blowouts for now, getting in a couple minutes here and there unless there's injuries.
1: Yeah, a lot of stuff to answer there. I mean, I'm not going to reiterate too much. You mentioned it, Buddy Hill with the Lakers. That's pretty much the only thing. Nobody else has been brought up from a or Goga. I-, I said I see O'Shea playing a mix of both, Yep, but probably we'll play mo- most of the four right so now so with how the how the roster is currently constructed because, look, I mean, it's it's going to be tough. We'll get into the, like the depth chart and stuff like that later um, as we get into the offseason even more. Maybe we get into August as we're preparing for uh, camp and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I just feel like you're going to see him play more of the four than the three. But depending upon the matchup, he could play the threesome if that's a bigger team. But yeah, and then for Kendall Brown, uh, I said, see the previous answer we just talked about. <laughs> we were answering uh, David's question about what we think his role will be like for the season. So um, he's just not going to get much time at that second unit. It'll be very minimal.
2: I completely agree. Next question, we have Zachary he said, what do you think our rookies will average this year?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um to be honest with you, I think Matherin's the only one that's really gonna be worth looking at. Agreed. So I, I put Matherin down for 12.4 points per game, 3.4 rebounds per game, 2.1 assists per game, one steal per game. He's gonna shoot 42% from two, 36% from three, and 76% from the free throw line. That's about as detailed as I can get.
2: Very uh, detailed,
0: very
1: <laughs> For Nembhard and Brown, it's going to be minimal. I'm thinking like two points for Nimhard, maybe three assists a game when he plays. I mean, it's going to be very limited minutes. So uh, Brown is probably going to be ones and twos across the board in terms of averages. But uh, Matherin, I like him about 12.4 points per game. I think Duarte had about 13.5. So maybe he gets somewhere similar to that. But if they get eight, and I think that it's going to take some of the touches away from Matherin overall. And that's where I kind of view him in that 12, uh, 12, 12 and a half range.
2: Part of me just want to be bold. And I want to say that Benedict Matherin breaks the Pacers franchise rookie scoring points. record. I wanted to say it. I wanted to put him at like 14 points per game, 14.2. But you're right. If Aiden's over there, it's a little less touches. So, I mean, you're 12.5. I think it's good. I want to say Duarte could have been 13.1. I still feel like Matherin has a shot to be able to break that. Okay, so it's 13.1 for Duarte. So then say we sign Aiden, give me Benedict Matherin at like Thirteen point five. He's breaking the record. Then okay. I had him at. I just rounded it off. I did four rebounds. Um, you know, get like you know two assists, maybe somewhere around there. But I had him at forty four percent shooting. So okay, you had what forty two percent and thirty six percent from three. Uh, for Nemart, I'll, I'll I'll be a little bit kinder. I'll say like four and a half points per game, maybe two assists. Uh, something like that, and then Kendall yeah. Brown. I was just like, I'm not gonna disrespect the man and put some stats there. Uh, we don't know what his role is gonna be, so you know it ain't gonna be pretty uh, to predict. But Matherin was was the real guy worth predicting.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and percentage wise, I didn't do field goal percentage. I just did like percentage from two. Yeah. So you know, I, I could have been more specific with that, but I got yeah, pretty, you're specific. pretty
2: specific enough in the other categories. Yeah. So I'll give you credit there. Okay. Okay. Well, let's
1: move on. Sam wants to know who has the best season out of the young guys this year.
2: I mean, it, it would be a crime to to not say I, the young guys are, are. Do you think that's just the rookies? Man,
1: that's what I I, I wrote. Team's on,
2: young now. So but here was
1: my answer when I wrote my answer down on my uh, on my computer. I said, if we're talking rookies, with well an obviously Matherin, but if yeah. you're looking at second year players and younger, I, I'm taking Duarte. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not including Halliburton, eight, and any of those kind of guys. I'm including guys that have only been in the league two years or younger because. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's where I'm where I'm at. I, I felt like we're looking at like freshman, sophomore game, obviously, you know, whatever they call that now. So rookie, sophomore, I call it the freshman. Oh, my goodness. I feel so old right now. Uh, I called and, it the I, freshman, yeah. sophomore. game. What but, am I doing?
2: But I remember
1: that. Wasn't that what it used to be? The freshman-sophomore game? And I now it's like the idea. Rising
2: Stars or something well, like that. Well, it was
1: rookie-sophomore. It was never freshman Okay. Sophomore. That's that, what I'm that saying. Sense. I knew there was freshman a sophomore. sophomore. What am I thinking? I'm an idiot. I don't know. It, it obviously doesn't make sense. But I do
2: remember sophomores <laughs> being in there. Um, oh, yeah, man. I mean, what an idiot. Out of the rookies, it, it's clearly Benedict McMatherin. I mean, they're just head and shoulders. Game one just looked amazing. 23 points. Uh, I feel like his, his confidence seems sky high. The athleticism is there. So love that. Um, then in terms of everybody else, I'm with you with Duarte. I really do feel like Duarte is going to like make everybody remember how much we loved him last year. Mm-hmm. I see him taking that rise from like 13 points per game to like, could be like 15 and a half. Um, I really hope that he does get a starting role and they don't bring him off the bench. I know, you know, we've talked about that. We've gone back and forth in there. I would really like if you're going to start him at three, you'd have Mather and still so start at the two. But, like, last year, it just seemed like once Buddy was there, things were different. He came off the bench. He was hurt, you know, this, this, that. So uh, I'm leaning with you. Same answers there.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's move on here. Um, I think it's your turn to ask this question. All
2: right. So Aaron said, if the Pacers managed to get eight in this offseason, could this be the biggest acquisition in franchise history?
1: I wrote yes, 100% yes. However, the Pacers getting David West might have been more meaningful since they went to two Eastern Conference Finals. But – I will say this, if Aiden stays in Indy for a long time and thrives with Halliburton, though, it'll wipe the floor with West. So, you know, I mean, it's it's clear, like, getting a guy at 23, 24 years old on a max contract to come here and be part of a young core, incredibly more meaningful. The biggest acquisition you're ever going to see probably in Pacers history in a long time in terms of getting a free agent. Now, I think getting Halliburton potentially might be a bigger move. In terms of just being able to establish that culture, because without Halliburton, you're probably not getting Aiden, Let's just be honest. So that's kind of where I'm at with everything. But you know, David West, him coming here kind of solidified that starting five. They desperately needed that grown up in the room, that power forward. He was able to do that. But um, I feel like Aiton's a better talent than West. Don't get me wrong. But um, if, if the Pacers don't win with Aiton, then I think it's kind of hard to put that up against what David West did in terms of helping this team get over that hump and, and trying to win big games. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I, I just read this, you know, similar to how you started in terms of like like a free agent type signing. Like I think Tyrese Halliburton could definitely go down as the biggest overall, but I kind of limited it to like, I guess like a free agent acquisition type of thing. Um, So basically the short list, I think it would be between David West, just like you said, Malcolm Brogdon and DeAndre Ayton. I know that Brogdon was in a sign trade, but still, you know, he picked Indiana. They worked out a sign trade. Anyway, David West was huge in terms of changing the culture. Just like you said, back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals, it doesn't happen without David West. He was an enforcer. He was a leader. But he was coming off of a torn ACL and was no longer an all-star type player when he signed with the Pacers. So Brogdon, I think we asked him to do too much. There was injuries. The team did not perform well during the Brogdon era. With DeAndre, and you're getting a 23-year-old center who, in my opinion, has not entered his prime yet. He's the former number one overall pick. I think this would be the biggest free agent signing the Pacers have ever had. And I think that if you're going to go through trade, Tyrese Halliburton very much
1: has an opportunity to be the biggest acquisition overall. Yeah, that's where it kind of got me tied up there because at first I just read it as free agent mm-hmm. signing in my head, but it's that's actually acquisition. Did. That's so how like, I thought, you know. I just, even Jermaine, man, like bigger than Jermaine.
2: Well, I mean, look, dude, don't don't play with my feelings here. No, I'm, right?
1: I'm being serious. I, I I don't. Jermaine know. Jermaine was an MVP candidate. I mean, it, is Aiden getting to that number level?
2: three overall in MVP voting? in Two thousand three, two thousand four. Man, trust me, I I love me some <laughs> Jermaine, uh, six time All Star. But at the same point, like. You know, hey, look, he's definitely going to be up there. Tyrese Halliburton, we're still very, very early on. But it's like the, finding a franchise point guard makes everything around you go. And yeah. when you look at those teams that Jermaine was on, you're looking at, oh, who's the point guard? Jamal Tinsley. It's like, mm, you know, there's such a huge drop ball that you need the point guard to get everything to go, and we finally have ours.
1: All right, let's go on to the next question here. This one comes from another David. He said, what are some other possible moves you guys think we could uh, – you guys think we could make that aren't to tank but to retool? So I looked at the unrestricted free agents. My God,
2: it's a dark and scary place. There is really nothing there. Like I looked at it. I tried to come up with some names just to answer this question, but it's like you're looking at like Boogie Cousins, like Markeith Morris. There's Lance. One thing that I thought that was, you know, a little bit interesting – Mac McClung was the G League Rookie of the Year. Uh, he's on Gold State Summer League team right now. Don't know, you know, how much that, that doesn't really raise the ceiling of this team. But if you're talking about a player who was at least the G League Rookie of the Year that's available, he's out there. But at the same point, the Pacers already have so many guards and everything like that. So in terms of free agents, there really isn't any. Then you got to look around and say, hey, what about trade-wise? Right now, I think the Pacers are really focused on Aiton. So they got to get that resolved before they kind of make any other moves. So not really sure trade-wise.
1: Yeah, so this is what I said. I said, find a spot for Buddy and or You know, if you're trying to go into a retool, you know, these are guys that are probably would prefer to be on different rosters. So I said, use the expiring of Buddy next year, maybe to the a guy that's on the outside looking in. Um, I, I brought up a guy that we've talked about before, Cam Reddish. Um, yeah. Wouldn't be opposed to trading for Cam Reddish or seeing if Orlando maybe has any young forwards that they'd be willing to trade
2: well, they because got a lot of young talent.
1: they got a lot of young forwards. I don't know how they're going to be able to play them. Well. I mean, Jonathan Isaac's a big name down there. don't know if he would make a lot of sense,
2: Yeah,
1: but I like I see, Chuma. I got to
2: see him return first.
1: I like Chuma Kiki a little bit on a, on a flyer, not going to cost mm-hmm. you as much. Yeah, you shouldn't. Um, so, I mean, if they were able to like part ways with him and the Pacers get involved there for a deal, I mean, that'd be something that'd be enticing to me, but uh, other than that there's not a lot of moves they'll have to be out there that i can think of that make a whole lot of sense um if you're wanting to go like bigger name like potentially og and Anobi, like who knows like if they're able to get eight now right then you do a a trade of turner plus a pick maybe for og like now you're talking that's really interesting but you, you know i yeah so it's it's just going to be interesting to see what else the pacers can do but i'm sure they have more moves up their sleeve outside of just the the eight and stuff but i think that is kind of putting everybody on hold what the Pacers do with eight and what the Nets do with Kevin Durant. That's kind of like the two big dominoes that need to fall in order for more moves to be made because people are trying to hold out and trying to save what little bit of cap space and all their assets that they have before uh, something happens. But that's where I'm at, Flash.
2: Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. Next question from Dakot. He said, who on the summer league bench stood out to you? I thought David DeLeo was an interesting surprise with his off ball movement and three point shooting.
1: Yeah, that was the first person that came to mind when this question was asked. I mean, obviously, um, you know, David DeLeo was knocking down threes. We talked about that earlier. My cousin actually texted me during this and was like, oh, we got to sign him to a contract. I'm like, okay, (laughs) calm down. Yeah, yeah, Summer League and uh, whatever. But no, I I think uh, Fanbo was a little bit lost defensively. I talked about that. So he wasn't one that was impressive. But I think Kendall Brown's been pretty impressive to me. Um, Playing with the second unit is a little bit different in Summer League because, and you're playing with Gabe York, who's, I think, the oldest guy in summer league down there. I think I heard that on the first night of the broadcast. but I believe it. Yeah, so, I mean, you got Gabe York, but you got other guys that, you know, aren't part of the Pacers at core. I mean, Dwayne Washington's out there with you the first night, so you know you have to cover for him defensively. And maybe you'll get the ball from him, but he's probably going to shoot it. So, you know, just not getting that consistent run with the better players could be difficult. But I think what we've seen from Kendall Brown's been pretty good five. So that's, that's where I'm at with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, Kendall Brown, I I thought, had a a real solid game against the Kings where it made me be like, all right, cool, he was a plus 19 in the game. Uh, David DeLeo, which we talked about before, you know, hey, three for six from three, that's always going to be needed. You always need three-point shooters. Um, Simi Chateau, I want to make sure that I pronounced that right. I hope I did. If I didn't, someone please correct me. He was a plus 21 against the Kings. Uh, Eight points, seven rebounds, uh, four or five shooting. We didn't see him in, in the first game, so... You know, that, that impressed me off the bench. See how he can follow up that performance. So those were the guys that right now outside of the starters or the guys that we know are going to have a role that I went, hmm, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And like I said before, guys like you know, Dwayne Washington Jr., for Sykes, Terry Taylor, we completely overlooked a lot of these guys. I know Dwayne Washington Jr., maybe we, we thought he could have a role because he had that two-way contract early. Our signed like, like the second the draft ended, but everyone else, we didn't know if they would contribute to the Pacers, and they all ended up playing a lot of minutes.
1: Yeah, Giroux was not very good. So Dejan
2: Giroux was not. And I remember that yeah. was someone that we waited and waited and hoped there would be something, you know, there, and there just never was.
1: No. So let's move on. Randy wants to know, with Tyrese Halliburton's new contract looming next year or the year after, how do things look for the Pacers, Giving uh, he'll most likely get a max contract? I mean,
2: if it's, it's, you make everything work, Tyrese Halliburton is without him, everything's going to collapse. So I think at that point, the Pacers are going to be able to make it happen. I mean, we've talked about it before. They have opportunities to get Buddy off the books. Other than that, I mean, the Pacers books are looking good right now. I know that's, you know, with Aiton not being signed, but getting Brogdon off the books created a lot of extra cap room for the future. So it's not going to be a problem.
1: Yeah, I said, I mean, you got on eight the, on the max. You're also going to probably have to put Tyrese on the max. Yeah. It's two rookie maxes, but it's not super maxes. So, you know, with the rest of your roster, you're looking at, you know, you're not going to be able to make moves outside of the MLE, but, you know, you're going to have Duarte at least for another two years. Mm-hmm. You're going to have Jalen Smith hopefully back on another team-friendly contract because I don't think he's going to be, like, a superstar-level player, but he'll be a role player, getting yeah. definitely a pay raise when he comes back. Matherin only be in year two of his his deal at that point when Halliburton's up for a max, uh, you know. Smith, this is a guy that could be a really good bench player for you. He could mm-hmm. he could be oh, pretty really. cheap too, and if he gets an opportunity similar to what happened with Smith, you know, now you can kind of control that. And then you look at guys like Ijax, Nimhard, you know, Terry Taylor, Brown. I, I didn't put Washington Junior in there because I think yeah, you never you,
2: have know. To,
1: you never know. But I mean, Kendall Brown. I mean, these are all guys that are very affordable contracts, and so then. You also have your 2023 rookie class. So you're going to be set by having some smaller contracts here. Uh, You're looking to get off Buddy's thing. And then if you are able to trust Nimhar to be your backup point guard on a cheaper deal, then maybe you look to move McConnell.
2: And I think that'll probably end up happening eventually. You know, you don't draft a guy at 31 to just kind of, you know, stay as a third string. But I think that this next year, McConnell is important to the team in terms of just showing them how to be a professional. uh, We also talked about for Buddy. Like, it, it's it, the writing's on the wall, not quite yet, but it's like I, I I would be stunned to see Buddy on the Pacers past this upcoming season. So yeah. you got to create the room for, for um, Tyrese Halliburton, and that's where I love how the Pacers are set up with all this young talent that we want to see grow together. Yeah. So it creates a lot of flexibility to be able to offer another max contract and not be sweating it.
1: Yeah, you might have too many guys –
2: it's possible <laughs> um, but hey, on, on we'll, the we'll roster
1: in terms of depth and, and opportunity. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of one where you have to like make the right cuts and whatever. But I, I think there's a good chance that they just are very, very close to the, the tax, but they don't pay it. Um, but, but they're going to be over the cap sure. for sure. They're yeah. going to be over the cap. So you yeah. want to move on to the next one? Yep. Uh,
2: Yonatan, I believe I pronounced that right. said, realistically, how do the Pacers and parentheses eventually win a championship?
1: All right, Fachi. I got three three points here for you. Ooh. Bullet point one: prayer. Yeah. Bullet point two: injuries to their opponents. Bullet point three: Victor Wembanyama.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, it, something like that is obviously the key. You need, you still need that alpha, like number one option. And right now, I would say, you know, look, the Pacers. It, it goes without saying they don't have that. But you have a great, like a really nice, talented young core. That the first thing, player development, these guys got to take a next step. Tyrese Halliburton needs to become an all-star level player. If you're going to bring Aiden in, and it's already crazy that you know we're forced to talk like like this is a, a known done thing. But say you bring Aiden in, he's got to play like the number one pick from the past. Like he's got to mm-hmm. be a borderline all-star right over there or an all-star. If you're having two all-stars in your point guard, in your center, you got something over there. As we're having Benedict Matherin continue to develop. We've talked about this. The Pacers hadn't picked as high, you know, their own pick being a guy like Benedict Mathurin picking sixth overall in 30 years. It was like 31 years. So right yeah. now you're getting a talent level that you have just not been able to have in years and years and then also you've got a guy like Duarte who's being slept on after he just averaged the most points per game ever by a pacer rookie. So this core needs to continue to take those steps together. Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, M.R. They they gotta get better and better. And right over here, you've also set yourself up to not have bad contracts while also having those first round picks. So at some point, the pacers are gonna have to pony up and they're gonna have to make that move. There, there's we talked about the borderline too many young, talented guys. So at some point you might have to be packaging a couple picks and a young player to go after, you know, another potential all-star type player. And I think at that point also, yeah, you know, similar to, you know, not the injuries part, but like other players need to, you know, move on. They need, they need to, you know, get to the downside of their career or, or switch conferences, anything like that. We know Giannis is going to be there, but, other than that, I mean, I feel like the Miami Heat have a, a certain window, you know, right over there. Jimmy's only getting older, that team, they're yeah. trying to, you know, th- make
1: their run. The
2: Celtics have a pretty large window, but, yeah, it's it's going to come to having some good luck on your side as well.
1: Yeah, it feels like Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, Miami, uh, maybe Atlanta, depending on what they're able to do. But it feels like those are kind of the teams to keep an eye on out for right, right now. Cleveland, Cleveland yeah. maybe, but I don't I, I yeah. really like Mobley. I really do. I mean, I it's do. Gonna, it's going to be him coming, becoming like a, a superstar level player because they're not going to get there with Darius Garland being their best player. So No, you
2: can't. You Good know, player, but, but you can't do it alone. But, right. right.
1: So yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think the Pacers, you know, they're going to have to get better defensively. That's for sure. I, I was kind of kidding with what I said, obviously, but uh, tongue in cheek aside, this is a, a fun team to root for moving forward. Bachi, we got a few questions left. Let's get them knocked down here. This one comes from Mikey. He said, for Aaron Neesmith, What do you think the next step for his development is? Is it finding that consistent three ball that he had in college? Or is it showcasing more of his game like his athleticism and defense? I mean, look, it'd be nice if he
2: can showcase that athleticism and defense. But the three-point shooting is his calling card. If he can get back to being like a sniper and just throw some numbers at you. In college, it was just 14 games. But his sophomore year, he was the fifth leading scorer in the nation, averaging 23 points per game shooting better than 50% from behind the arc. So it's just like, man, he's shown that three-point shooting is there. He's, his rookie season, he shot 37% from three-point land. So I feel like if he can get back to being that, say, 37% three-point shooter, you're always going to have a job in the NBA.
1: Yeah, no, I, I basically just said, I feel like for Smith. it's kind of similar to Aaron Holiday and He needs He needs confidence for sure. But he needs a consistent role and the opportunity above everything. He needs the opportunity to fail and grow because yeah. the Pacers for so long were trying to win games. Like you know the whole the whole point of drafting Aaron Holiday was for to be the backup point guard, and, and McConnell is going to be his third string. Well, you're you're also preaching to McMillan. Hey, we try to we got to get to the playoffs. We got to win games. Well. You know, at that point, McConnell's been around the block for a while, and Aaron Holiday was only in year two at that point and really didn't get much opportunity outside of the Oladipo injury the year before. So you put a lot on that guy's shoulders, and, and now you realize, well, Holiday's probably more of a two than he is a one. <laughs> so at that point, is an undersized two that really can't play with the one that you have because McConnell's too small, and then it just basically took away his minutes out of the rotation. And then Goga playing behind two bigs, he just never had that opportunity. So overall, I will just say, Sure, he, he definitely can shoot the ball. We know that. I think Carlisle is going to instill that he does shoot the ball at a high level. We know that Carlisle prioritizes the three point shot. They've got the shooting drill that Benedict Matherin talked about going back and, and beating after they had dinner. Sabonis was ringing the bell last year at times too. So he's going to work on that. I mean, athleticism and defense, that's to me, is just how do you really work on that? I think athleticism is just something you're gifted with. And then defense is all about just buying into the system. So uh, I think at the at the end of the day, the bottom line is he's just going to have to get that opportunity to develop and grow as a player. Because if not, then you're going to see him buried on the bench and doing what doing the same thing he did in Boston and not being able to get a consistent run.
2: Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I, I just think that the leash can't be too short. I know you you mentioned it about Aaron Holiday. It felt like if Aaron Holiday missed, you know, two shots in a row, it was like eh, we don't know when the next time we're going to see him is. You know, and that went on for, for a bit till eventually he, you know, got himself out, out of a funk. But Neesmith, you got to be able to let him be, you know, have that opportunity to be able to mess up, be consistent, you know, develop into a consistent role. And I think it'll be fine. This is a lottery pick that, no offense, but the Celtics, they were ready to win. They were. It was just at that point, the Celtics became a really good team. And it's hard to be able to you know, be allowed to fail when you're trying to win it all. So I think that he's entering a situation right now with Indiana that I hope we can just get him into summer league ASAP. I want him to get all the reps. So yeah. really just hoping it starts with that and then continue to build with this young culture because I feel like they're going to be really pushing each other to get better and better. And I think that he fits perfectly in with what we have going on.
1: Absolutely, Fachi. So our last question here comes from Kevin. You got it?
2: Uh, actually, I do not. Okay, uh, I'll, re- I'll
1: read it this time. And yeah. Uh, So this one comes from Kevin. He said, who is going to be the sixth man for us this year out of Hill, Duarte and Matherin. Also who's a true backup point guard. I would assume McConnell, but Nimart has been very impressive during summer league. I think the sixth man's going to be buddy.
2: I've, I've been back and forth on that though, where I've been like, are the Pacers just going to hand Bennett Matherin a starting role? Look, I, I would hope that they do. I hope that it's just like, Hey, from day one, it's like, you're going to be our guy. You're the future you know, do that. But I also feel like Duarte cannot just all of a sudden fall through the cracks. So I feel like Buddy's been a six man before. I feel like let's, let's put him back into that six man role. Who's the true backup point guard? It has to be McConnell. It has <laughs> yeah. to
1: be. Like, yeah. well, what are we'll we out going out off of two look- games of Summer League? Exactly. We're it, McConnell's backup point it, guard stuff?
2: <laughs> I talked about it, but this is what we do. We see Summer League, and the overreactions are nuts. I remember Trey Young struggled, and I was like, this man's not going to cut it. He looks terrible out there. Like, And then all of a sudden, Trey Young's just you know, single-handedly taking down teams and you know, shooting from 40 feet out. I mean, it's it's crazy. So we got to give all these guys time because Neymar, you know, could easily come out next time and not look that great. And then we go, whoa, this guy's not ready. But I hope that he continues to look really, really good. But McConnell is very much deserving of that backup point guard role. Brings a lot of great things to the table. Two years ago, McConnell was so essential to the Pacers. I think that he went through, you know, different style of an offense, you know, going from uh, Bjorkren to, to Carlisle to, you know, trying to shoot more threes, and so then he got hurt. So he's the backup point guard, bottom line.
1: Yeah, that wasn't that deep for me, but Fachi, thank you for going all deep <laughs> on that for to. us. Um, I think the most important question here is who's the sixth man, and I've kind of debated who it should be. I feel like there's part of me that wants Duarte to start next to Halliburton, next to Matherin, with Jalen Smith and and with DeAndre Ayton, if he's the guy, or Turner, if, if, if Turner is uh, still here by the start of the season, it feels, it feels very unlikely, but we'll just put it that way. But I also kind of like the idea of giving Chris Duarte a chance with the second unit to get more opportunity to score the basketball, because if he's with that starting unit, Fachi, then that is going to take away some of his touches. So, I mean, Buddy, Buddy Heald's not afraid to put up the basketball um, whenever he gets a chance, but I think you also need to be able to control what he does. So, you know, you, you got Halliburton out there with Buddy. I I think that chemistry is something you can keep together because they played together quite a bit. You got to get better defensively, but, you know, maybe you bring McConnell and Duarte off the bench with Neesmith and then Brissette, and then probably Isaiah Jackson. So that's kind of where I would look at, at that group right there. But at the same time, you know, you're, you're having a hard time trying to get 10 guys in the rotation because Terry Taylor at them, you know? So um, yeah, that's where it's like, okay, what do we want to do? But I, I could see Buddy and McConnell being a good backup duo as well, I could like just it. having them play together. But at the same time, um, you know, McConnell is a guy that's always looking to get people open, but he has to have the ball in his hands. He's not a guy that can really be effective without the ball in his hands. So putting shooters like Duarte O'Shea and Nismith around him, with a pick-and-roll threat like Isaiah Jackson, I like that idea. So that's kind of where I'm at with everything. But I, I definitely think it's between Hield or Duarte, and you just start Mather, and he's your sixth overall pick. You got um, Do not bring him off the bench.
2: No, don't. I mean, let, let's let's make this be something special. Like, I know Duarte started last year kind of more due to injuries. It was just like, you know, I know Kairos LeVert was out, and – that Brogdon played or, he, or even he missed. The first, I think Brogdon played and then missed like a game or two like after that. He might have played the first two games. Whatever it was, he wasn't expected to start. But I love the idea that he did. And look at the game that he had, 27 points. Yeah. His Pacer debut, it like instilled the confidence, I felt like. And then I hated how it was so wishy-washy taking him out. I think if Duarte is just a starter this year, like game in, game out, I feel like he flourishes. He could very well flourish being the guy in the second unit. But I feel like when you look at who should be the future of this team, you should prioritize Duarte over Buddy. The only reason why I feel like it's still up in debate is because Buddy started every single game last year for the Pacers when he got upon the trade. But injuries did factor a lot in that.
1: Well, and here's another point that I'll bring up too. If you start Buddy, you might get his value up a little bit more. It's possible. And then trade him by the deadline. I think that's something to keep an eye on as well. But – you know, I just I'm just looking at their roster right now, and they have got so many wings. It's going to be tough oh to figure man. out this playing time. So, uh, yeah. But with that being said, Flashy, that wraps up the mailbag for today. So tell the people where they can find us at on social media.
2: Absolutely. So you could find us on Twitter at settingthepace Three. You could find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden MBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore facci. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You could find us on Facebook Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok Setting the Pace and Alex. Where they can check
1: us out on YouTube. Find us on YouTube at Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. We really appreciate it, guys, and hope you all are just holding on as we're waiting for DeAndre Ayton to get everything figured out here with the Pacers and the Nets and what's going on with Phoenix. Who knows? But uh, we'll be we'll be waiting for DeAndre Ayton to sign that Pacers contract, that Pacers offer sheet with a special Pacers pin. Five, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. it. But, um, but yeah, man. So if you're uh, if you're excited though. To watch game three of Summer League on Tuesday night, watching and say these three words. Let's go pace!